Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. And hello, my friends. A question for you. Are there still a few family members or friends that you've yet to buy something for on your holiday list? You know the ones. They're the ones that are probably the most difficult to shop for. The socks that you gave them last year weren't the hit that you expected. The old spice from the year before fell eh, just a little bit flat. Well, head on over to the Live Inspired Shop for the perfect gift. In addition to autographed copies of the number one national best-selling book, On Fire, we've got a lot of other cool things to choose from, like t-shirts and journals and a whole lot more, including, yes, are you ready for it? Limited edition wall calendars. You are going to love them. I think they're awesome, and I know those that you choose to gift them to are going to be encouraged, uplifted, and inspired by them as well. Orders placed today, that's December 13th, will absolutely be received in time for Christmas. So that's right. Visit us right now. Don't wait at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash shop. If you use the code podcast when you check out, you'll get an additional 15% off your order. So cruise over right now. Don't wait. Yes, you may feel free to put me on pause just this one time while you visit and you finish up the rest of your holiday and Christmas shopping at John. O'LearyInspires.com forward slash shop. All right, my friends, now that the shopping has been taken care of, the list has been complete, on to today's guest. We've got a really cool, really fun treat for you today, an awesome lesson on love and how to fill your home with it just in time for the holidays from HGTV stars. You're going to love it. Stay tuned for it. Aaron, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Hey, John. Thank you so much for having us on today. Aaron, this is an honor. The ladies that I work with, and I work with several, but some of them are huge fans. They're incredibly jealous that you and I are hanging out on this call right now. Big fans of your show, big fans of your work. They're following you on Instagram. But for those who don't yet know the name Aaron Napier, they don't yet know about the show that you do or the book that you wrote, Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing today. Yeah, um, well, my husband Ben and I live in Laurel, Mississippi, a little bitty town kind of in uh, between Jackson and the coast, if, if you have any idea yeah. about Mississippi. But uh, we restore historic houses here in our little town on a show called Hometown on HGTV, and we just finished our first book, and it's called Make Something Good Today, which was the name of my online journal that I wrote for eight years that was about the best thing that happened every day. I never mm. missed a single day of it, and... Uh, we wrote that as a memoir together, and it's really kind of a love story, and it's a story about revitalization and blooming where you're planted. Mm. So that's our short story, a very long story packed into just a few seconds. Yeah, and I wrote, I, I read that and was so moved by it. That's actually why you and I are speaking right now. I love your show, but it's actually your book and your heart and your messaging, and I felt like as I read through it, I was your friend. Ah, thank you so much. That means the world that's always like the nicest thing someone can say when they read our book that they feel like they know us and like we're friends sitting down across the dinner table from each other having this conversation yes we tried to make sure that it was as real and relatable as it could be but yeah i mean it's just we haven't we're only in our early 30s we haven't lived that long but i still feel like no matter how mundane, every life is interesting. Mm -hmm. And the things that led us to this very unusual career we've found ourselves in, <laughs> it was a series of kind of mundane events that strung together equaled something really special. It's incredibly special. And the mundane, as it turns out, really seldom is. So I'm going to talk about some of these mundane events in your life. But I, I think as we look back on them and walk through them, we'll recognize that, that they actually were critically important to who you became and who you're yeah. becoming. So let's talk about it. Talk about growing up in Mississippi. Oh, yeah, um, Mississippi. It's a special place. It's, it's different than anywhere else in the world. Everyone 
is, uh, you know, has an attachment to the place they're from, I'm sure. But Mississippi, it's when I was a teenager, I hated it and couldn't wait to leave. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get a degree in art, work for a publisher, be a graphic designer, and I couldn't do that here. You can't do that. You can't have an art career in a place like Mississippi. But when I was really young... Um, we lived in a house. It was very rural. My parents had kind of a little farm out in the country, and I went to a small rural elementary school, and I had a hard time finding friends. Uh, I was I was bullied a lot of elementary school, and I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I was surrounded by people much older than me. My brother was nine years older. My parents, my aunts, my uncles and cousins, they were my friends. And so when I got to school, I didn't really know how to interact with people my own age, and I struggled. And I got picked on a lot. But at the time, it was devastating, but I think that it all ended up being a very positive thing for me in the long run because I learned a lot about how how we all want to be accepted. Everybody wants to have a friend, and now I see the bullying that was happening was just because they wanted to fit in. And yeah. So Aaron, was, I, I want you to, you wrote in there this part where you, you finally seem like you're making headway. You get invited to a little friend's house for an overnight slumber party. Yeah. And uh, you know, finally the, it seemed like the worm was turning in a positive direction. Take, take us forward though. And, and how that night ended up. Uh, yeah. I was so excited just to be included. Cause that was the big that was the thing that was always so heartbreaking, to not be included. And nine times out of ten, I wasn't. But this time, the girls who were really very popular in my class were having a sleepover, and I was invited. And I was shy about it, a little nervous, and I went anyway. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe they've had a change of heart, and they think I'm cool and special, and they want me to be their friend, too. And they said, we're going to play hide-and-seek. And you are it. So you go to her room, close the door, and count to 100, and then come find us. And I did that. I counted to 100, and when I came out, they had all left and gone to a girl's house down the street. And it was just the girl's mom that was left at home. She's like, I don't know where they went. And mm. I felt so stupid. You know, I was kind of um, the butt of their joke. And it felt like that was just my life in mm-hmm. elementary school, to be the one that gave them something to laugh at or make fun of. I had a really big imagination. I, w- I love to make costumes and dress mm-hmm. up and wear costumes, and I wanted to be like Indiana Jones, but a girl. And I wanted to dig up dinosaur bones, and I wanted to make little museums out of the fossils that I found in our yard. I mean, it was obviously too much imagination for I think it's awesome (laughs) it's serving you well today there's no doubt about that yeah it is I I made a career out of having an imagination well that that career eventually leads you to college and it leads you leads you to a chance encounter with the uh the amazing Ben talk about your first meeting with Ben and and what was it about him that you fell for uh he was he was always the one who would sit with the one who was eating alone in the student union, but he was the president of everything. He was the leader of every group. He was in every organization. He was in every page of our college yearbook, and I was the design editor of that yearbook. So I was very familiar with Ben Napier and his face mm-hmm. and all the many things he did on campus. And I was, uh, you know, in the background. I just wanted to do my art thing, do my graphic design work, I was in choir for our small college, and um, then one day he was finally, like, we were both at McDonald's getting lunch on freshman move-out day. So it was the end of freshman year, and I'd been watching him for months from afar, and he was walking towards me, and I was so petrified. I I was just like, how do I pretend like I'm not completely in love with him because he's totally going to sniff it out as soon as I open my mouth, and he's like, hey. I haven't met you yet. You're a Christian's roommate. And I was like, I just thought, play it cool and act like you don't even really know who he is. That's the way to go. That'll cover it up. And instead, I think I came off as, like, almost rude, and that is not what I intended at all. I was really cold towards him, but I told him, he said, uh, you know, I've seen you around. I said, yeah, I recognize you. You actually look like a guy that I work with. And I did work with a guy that looked like Ben, and I had a little crush on him, too, because he looked like Ben Napier. And Ben said, so he must be a pretty good-looking guy then. And 
I mean, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> right. What was I supposed to Yes, actually. Right, there's oh no God, right I answer there. Yes. And so I went with, I mean, I guess. Right. <laughs> if you're into that look. Yeah, if you're into that, which I totally am. Will you marry me? But you can't <laughs> right. say things like that. So um, he said it was good meeting you. <laughs> he walked off and he was very nice. He was so gracious about it. And I was so awkward, but I was trying to be cool. I was just trying to be cool. And uh, anyway, uh, a few months later, we ended up doing a feature story on the most interesting people on campus, and everyone agreed Ben was definitely one of the most interesting people. And so I was like, I can totally head up that story if I need to. And we worked on the story together that day, and six days later decided we would get married. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. it. You know, when you know, you know. Well, in reading the book, I feel like I know an awful lot about Ben and his heart. But what was it? Not just about his physicality. We can talk about that if you'd like. I'd rather I'd rather skip that entirely, Aaron. But if you want to go there, we can. What was it about his heart that you fell for? He was so generous. He's just generous with his time, with with his money, with anything. He he gives his time to anybody. Who will sit there and talk to him? He'll talk to them. He wants to know about you. He doesn't want mm-hmm. to talk about him ever. And he was that way with me, somebody who was really kind of an outcast when I was mm-hmm. growing up. To be to feel valued by someone that's so loved and popular was a really special thing. It, he just has a way of making everybody feel like they're in his circle and like they're special to him. And he's, he's just my favorite person <laughs> in the world. Yeah, you know the, the 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 obvious. Some might say obnoxious. I would not. I think it's awesome. Love that you have for each other comes through on every page, <laughs> in every picture, in every post, on every show. Uh, you're still in the puppy dog phase, decades in. How, yeah. So tell me, how do you maintain that? For those of us who are in relationships currently, how do you and Ben maintain this passion for one another? Oh, we've been together 14 years now, but I never forget. The him from college, from when he was like my biggest celebrity crush. And I couldn't even imagine being friends with him. And now I'm married to him. I have his last name. Mm. And I never forget that. I think of it every single day. You have to remember why you fell in love with someone and remember it every single day. And that's easy to do because he's so, like I said, he's just so generous with his love and his friendship. And he's still that way every day toward me. And now that we have a baby, he's Mm. the same way with her. I just feel so lucky that we found each other. I really do. Aaron, you, you mentioned earlier that you, when you left high school, left kind of expecting never to come back. You saw all the problems with small towns. You saw all the problems with your own town. And yet eventually after graduating, you, you don't stick in Birmingham or Atlanta or Nashville. You eventually come back to small town Mississippi. Why did you come back? Yeah, um, I think that it takes some maturity to realize that everywhere on this earth has its own problems. And, I mean, is one set of problems any better than, like, I thought I could live in a place like New York and have a job with a magazine that I love, Mm -hmm. but I would be living in a 400-square-foot apartment with a roommate and rent that I could barely afford, and I would be a nobody, making no difference in my community. And then, on the other hand, I can go back to the place that seems to have no opportunity, but it does have Wi-Fi. And as long as you have the Internet, the world is very small. You can have any career you want. And you can afford your dream home, and you can be close to your mom and dad who cook supper once a week, and you come (laughs) over, and you get to be together. And I just, for me, it was like no contest. Once once I met Ben, and I recognized that what I loved about him is that he felt like a home to me, and he was wholesome and good. And that's what Laurel was, but I just thought that I was too good for it. Mm-hmm. I had to be old enough and mature enough to recognize, to live the American dream. Laurel is the only place that could happen for me. Well, you move back to Laurel. Laurel is a struggling community. It is uh, <laughs> not struggling anywhere near as much as it used to be today, in part because of the work that you and Ben have been doing. We'll get there in a moment. Talk about the beginning, though, of Lucky Lux. Oh, yeah, Lucky Lux. I... Uh, So I I had a corporate job as soon as I finished college. My first job, when we moved back home, I was designing, like, brochures in the art department of a huge corporation. Not very um, satisfying work. 
And I started a little free blog. I started doing freelance design work, just invitations for parties, weddings, mm-hmm. logos. And then before I knew it, I was doing some wedding invitations for a friend of mine who had a huge budget. She said, do anything you want. I did something that apparently had not been done before. I made wedding invitations that were printed on vintage handkerchiefs. Mm -hmm. And it just took off. It took off without my meaning for it to. I stumbled into it, and it it was like having a tiger by the tail, and I just had to hold on. And then uh, I guess six months later, I was ready to leave my day job and just pursue it full-time. And it grew and it grew. When I finally took the leap of faith to leave the day job and mm-hmm. focus and commit to it completely, it just exploded. It, it's like it took being terrified and having faith in something mm. in order for it to to blossom. It was awesome. It, it seems like so much of what you've accomplished in your life, and it's it's remarkable at this point, required a blind step forward, having no clue if the, if there was even going to be grounds when you put the left foot back down. Yes. Gosh. And that's the thing, you know, God always, the Bible says that he gives you, like, you only need enough faith to take one step. And you can't, he's not going to give you more, you're not going to get the faith you need for a mile down the road. You just need enough faith for the one step, the mustard seed of mm. faith. And it's like, Every wonderful thing that ever happened for us, like Lucky Lux, like Hometown, like Mm. our baby, it took me being absolutely terrified and then leaving what felt safe. And then we were rewarded every time. Every time I've been terrified and left what felt safe, we were rewarded tenfold. You also are tracking your life now. You've been doing this for almost a decade the, the title of the book that you, you guys wrote, Make Something Good Today. Well, that's been your journey for the last decade. When did you begin tracking something good that you made each day? It was January 1st, 2010. That was the first day of self-employment when I had left the cubicle and I was going to do Lucky Lux full-time. And I was just positive that it was going to fail, but I was hopeful that it wouldn't. And I thought if I could just make my faith more real than my fear, then I can do this. And the only way I could figure to do that was to write it down because Ben had been making me these books for our special occasions, like our anniversaries. He made these books that were about the best things that had happened in the course of that year of our marriage. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my jumping off point, my inspiration. And I was just going to really go all the way and do that every single day. Find the thing that was great in every day, and it wouldn't make the things that were uncertain feel so scary anymore. You, you, you write, and I don't think these are your words, but I'm going to put them in your mouth for a moment, <laughs> that you're almost like a redeemed pessimist. Yeah. Like you, you have so much anxiety, uncertainty, negativity even about tomorrow, but it seems like in tracking the good, that it allows you to keep moving forward. And miraculously or amazingly, it becomes reality in time. Yeah. um, Joan Didion wrote one time that we tell ourselves stories in order to live. And I I get that completely. You have to, um, in order to cope with the uncertainty of life, for me, that meant like editing. Yeah editing life and editing it into a, a package that I could understand and accept and be proud of and love. And that meant writing every day the good things, just writing down the good things. And now when I look back, I don't even remember how bad a bad day was mm. because I just remember the good and the grace in the day. As you were 29, moving toward 30, there was some anxiety about that 30th year and the, and what that decade meant and some challenges you were dealing with in your own life. But you received oh, yeah. a pretty awesome birthday gift. And so this is for all the, the partners and spouses and friends and folks that want to do something oh, really man. special for a child. Uh, sit up and take notes on this one. What, what did Ben give you as you moved toward your 30th birthday? I don't know if anybody out there, like, it's just going to make most husbands feel angry, probably. Yes. <laughs> he hears that a lot. Um, so I had all this anxiety about turning 30 because, for me, it meant one more year had passed when I was not brave enough to start a family. And I just kept hearing the clock, the the biological clock. It's so real. It is so real, y'all. And um, 
I always th- I thought of things like if I'm turning 30, then that means my parents are turning 60 because they're exactly 30 years older than me. And if they're turning 60, then before I know it, they'll be gone. And what will I have? Who will care about my life one day? Because I care about theirs, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, that was so hard for me to put my arms around. And, um, you know, my best friend already had a baby who was just like the light of their life and the light of mine. And I thought, why am I, I felt awful because why was I afraid? There is nothing to be afraid of. And I cried a lot. So it's coming, this 30, it's coming. And on August 1st, which is exactly 30 days before my birthday, on August 30th, Ben woke me up and he was making pancakes, my favorite breakfast. He was making pancakes in the kitchen and he had these two books for me. And one of them was called The 30 Days of Aaron. And for every day that month, we were going to do something I had loved, either from childhood or in my 20s or when I was a teenager. And he was trying to prove to me that just because you're 30, it doesn't mean you stop being who you were. You will always be who you were. And you can always do these things that gave you so much joy. You eat your favorite meal. You go to New Orleans and have beignets at midnight. You go jump in walkaway springs with your mom in the summertime and go swimming. Like, so I did all these things, and he also had a book that was um, three different road trips we could choose from, and he won, he wrote down, like, all the options, things we could do, places we could eat at all these three different places, and we picked one. We went to Austin, Texas. We saw um, Damien Rice play. He's just I know you love our him. favorite. Love mm-hmm. him. And anyway, it was all of a sudden, 30 felt like a huge gift, and we finished it by going to New York for my birthday. We were in New York and we celebrated with a cake at midnight with our friends who live there and it was just I've never been more thankful for him mm. in my life there are a lot of angry uh, spouses <laughs> right now I'm, I'm one of sorry. them I'm so sorry John you can totally do it you, th- you can talk to Ben in a minute he'll tell you about well, see, these books you can make them th- that's the thing that it's easy to give love I mean, it, it yeah. requires a little planning and a little work and a little premeditation but what a gift. And the majority of what he gave you actually was free. Yeah, it was. It really was. Everything he gives me is, uh, he, he's never bought me an expensive gift. He's always made me things that just make, just crush me, that make me cry. For my birthday this year, um, he made a cake stand, a beautiful turned wood cake stand with a glass dome. Mm. And he said it had a little birthday cake on it. And he said, this will be the cake stand that you use to bake Helen's birthday cake (laughs) for the rest of her life. And it was, you know, these are the things that he thinks of. I'm not thoughtful at all. And I hate that. I wish that I was thoughtful, but he's just so like innately, intuitively thoughtful. Yeah, he's remarkable. And I think you're uh, underestimating your thoughtfulness, but you certainly are creative and talented, so much so that you get uh, whispers from our friends at HDTV that there may be some interest in in following the work that you're doing. Talk about that, Erin. That was was really unexpected. (laughs) Never saw that coming. But we were just going about our life. We had bought a historic house and renovated it. And I had posted pictures about it on social media, and a magazine did a story about it. And then Southern Living Weddings did an interview with us about um, being Southern newlyweds, and it had pictures of our house. And they posted those on social media, and before I knew it, an executive from HGTV reached out and just said, we're just interested in putting you guys on tape. Have you ever thought about doing TV? And of course, no, of course we hadn't. Not at all. Um, Ben was working in student ministry and doing woodwork on the side, and I owned Lucky Lux, and that was going well. And, you know, we were very happy with that. And, uh, you know, when the opportunity for the show came along, I had to make that choice again Mm -hmm. to leave Lucky Lux to focus on this. And, again, we were rewarded by making that really hard decision. So I'm curious, in making that very hard decision, how has it changed? There's so many paths we could go, but first, how has it changed you, Erin? Oh, I've always been an introvert, but now it's harder. It's harder because um, now there is like this image of me that people people watch us on TV, and so they feel like they know me. and, Mm -hmm. And then if I'm in the grocery store or something... 
and someone will come up and they're very familiar with me. They're intimately familiar with me, but I'm not familiar with them. And it's it's a strange place to be when you're an introvert. Mm. And that's been an adjustment for me. For Ben, it's just like, oh, he loves oh, I bet he does. people. But he hates that they want to talk about him. He doesn't want to <laughs> talk about him. He wants to talk about you. So those have been the, the big changes, I think. How's Otherwise, it? it's all... Same as always. How has it changed your town? Our town? Oh, well, so I'm sitting, I, I, I couldn't find a landline to call you from, so I'm sitting in my best friend's office in downtown Laurel, and it happens to be the Welcome Center. <laughs> well, this seems office. awfully appropriate. Yeah, so I'm just sitting here at the door watching people who are coming to our town to visit walk in the door, and they're very surprised to see me, and I am surprised <laughs> to see them too. But it's people are coming from as far as New Zealand and Canada and Australia because they have seen hometown and mm-hmm. they just want to know if a Mayberry like place is real. So it, what it's really done is given the people who've lived here their whole lives and have never left it a whole new perspective. It's given them permission to believe in Laurel instead of put it down. Mm. And that's been really incredible. The town has experienced a rebirth. Oh yeah. To what do you credit that? It's Got to, it's because there are so many people here who care passionately about Laurel as much as Ben and I do. Ben and I are really just kind of the art department. We're like the mascot. We're what people think of when they think of Laurel, but we're not the ones that are making all this happen. I mean, it takes so many people, and it's people with all very different gifts. Not everyone is artsy like me or a people person like Ben. Some of them are like bankers or finance people, accountants, lawyers, teachers, preachers. It takes every one of us using our special gifts in our own specific way, but using them in tandem together to make our town beautiful and and vibrant again. See, I think all of your work centers on this idea of, of renovation. And yeah. it, the, the excuse is to renovate a room or a house or a main street, but it's, to me, to the way I read it and, and follow you, it's it's renovating life. It's making something that seemed bad and old and, and useless into something new and good and, and uh, valuable again. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think Ben and I, are obviously, we're believers. We, we have a strong faith. And what I think of is that uh, we are, humans make mistakes, but we are never unredeemable. We can always be redeemed. Mm-hmm. And it's that way with a, li- with a life, with a house, with a city, we were made to be reborn and revitalized. And I feel like the work that we get to do is, is it's a way to use this public platform that we have to point to what is really special about us is what God has given us and our talents and our gifts. And we just want to use those to point back to him. And I think that's what's, that's what's so great about watching a house be restored on television because there's something inside of all of us that craves that, mm. you know? I do know. I do know. I uh, was in the home renovation business for 13 years, and uh, part of it was to keep the lights on in my own house. You know, we, we, we need gainful employment. But for me, it was always about renovating something that was in despair and neglected and turning it into something that could be lived in and bring joy again. Yeah, to make a, a horrible, scary place into something that's, a soft landing, a safe place for a family to take shelter. Like, I'm I'm a real serious homebody. I don't ever like to leave home. But And that's what I think of. Every house we design, I like to imagine the people who will live here mm-hmm. in their pajamas, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day. That's, I, I just, home. Home is very special. Aaron, I'm looking at your preface right now, and I have, I have nine different paragraphs underlined. And I know you're not staring at the book right now, but uh, if only for the preface, I encourage folks to consider checking out your book. But I'm going to read one line that I just really love. The sense of wonder, that ability to hope for what was impossible, it's inside of all of us. It is how we were created to be, always changing, always evolving. These qualities are built into us. The home becomes the hopeful symbol, the arrows pointing forward. It can support a person, solidify a relationship, or bring a small town that lost its legs back to life. Yeah. Do you feel like you're, you're, you're part of that breathing life back into the town of Laurel and back into your neighbors? Yeah. I mean, it's, 
we're really such a small part of it, and we get a lot of credit for it, but I'm just thankful to have anything to do with it. I, I think the world needs so much more sunshine, and it, it needs so much more rebirth and revitalization instead of tearing down. There's too much tearing down happening, and we don't we don't want to be a part of that. And it's a huge honor to get to do what we do every day. Well, my friend, we... We wrap up every interview, and I know Ben is still coming on after you, but uh, before Ben enters into the room, I wanted to guide you through the Live Inspired 7. So these are seven questions we ask every guest, including Aaron Napier. And question number one, Aaron, is what is the best book that you've ever ever read? Oh, the best book I've ever read. My favorite book is, um, I've read Streams in the Desert. It's my favorite devotional. I read it every day. I've read it like 10 times. So I'll call that, but that's just a devotional. My favorite book is Love in the Time of Cholera. Mm. I love that book. Talk about I it briefly. It. Oh, it's um, it's just about, uh, oh, it's a love story, but it happens across decades. It's about they found childhood love, and then life took them down different paths, but they never lost that love for each other, and then they find each other again when they're elderly. Mm. And it's the most beautifully written, colorful book. It's I recommend it to anybody. Aaron, what's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little girl that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Mm. I wish that I... I wish I made more art. Mm. It's terrible that I am a professional artist and I don't have time to do it the way I used to. I wish I made things more with my hands. I wish I painted and made and did more with my hands. Mm. And now I find myself answering way too many emails. You know what I mean? I do know. If your home caught fire and Helen and Ben and the animals, they're all out, you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. Oh, easy. The anniversary books. Ben <laughs> makes the anniversary books. And they're all in a, a box together. I would just grab that box. That's awesome. That would be good. Yeah. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with, in, with anyone living or dead, who would you want to have that nice long visit with? Mm, who would I want that to be with? Maybe my grandfather. Mm. He died in 2001, and I was only in 10th grade, but he was fascinating. If you've ever seen uh, Big Fish, Edward yes, Bloom, that's him, that huh? was my grandfather. What a yeah. man. I wish I had spent more time with him than I got to. What's the best advice either your grandfather or anyone else ever gave you? The best advice anyone ever... Oh, my dad. My dad says, sugar, every bucket's got to sit on its own bottom. <laughs> <laughs> no one can do it for you. That's that's the message there. But um, like any huge decision, any huge um, goal, no one can do it for you. You've got to do it for yourself. That's the only way to be proud of it and own it. So. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Ugh, what would I tell my 20-year-old self? I would tell my 20-year-old self that it's one day... Trust me on this. You're gonna. Your parents know everything. They were right. <laughs> they were right. right. That's a powerful bumper sticker. And finally, Aaron, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read? Oh Lord, I should have gotten like the I questions know. to the test before now. So I interviewed um. my mother. <laughs> my very first interview was with mom. And as I'm asking her these, she's giving me these dirty looks. Like, how could you set me up and not not, not prepare me for this? Yeah, but, but we always want it to be from the heart, not from uh, not from the paper. Okay, so what? So the again, the question is: It has been said, Miss Aaron, that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read? Uh, she was afraid, but she did it anyway. <laughs> Aaron, that's an awesome one. I don't know. That's the best I've got right now. She was afraid, but she did it anyway. And uh, Aaron, this has been a pleasure. We want to thank you for the work you do, for the book you wrote, for the houses that you're renovating, for the encouragement that you've offered, for the town that you revitalized, and for the time you gave us today. Oh, thank you. Are you kidding? This is wonderful. And you're such an inspiration. Like, Ben and I know your story, and oh, it's you're you're remarkable, and I'm just honored that you wanted to spend any amount of time with us today. Well, my commitment next time I'm back in Jackson because we're down there frequently is I will be coming through Please. your town and looking forward to coming and into call. your store. Yeah, I look forward to it. Awesome. So, my friends, that is Erin. We are about to meet her half. I think they're they're perfect yin and yang for one another, Ben. <laughs> but Erin, again, thank you for the time. 
Thank you so much. Here's Ben. He's walking around the desk. Awesome. Hello. <laughs> Brother Ben. What's up, John? My friend, this is a pleasure. Thanks for making time for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to be on here. Well, y- your wife just blew us away, and now it's, uh, now it's your opportunity to just remind us that she was right and uh, that you are a great man, that life is good, <laughs> that Laurel rocks, and that the best is yet to come. It, uh, well, Laurel does rock, and life is good. I don't... She tends to oversell me a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> well, I follow your show and your work online. I've read your book, Make Something Good Today. I think it ought to be called Make Something Great Today because that's what you guys are doing. But it seems to me in all your projects, it's not just about the room or the shed or the house or the town or Main Street. It's, it's about life. And that's why I'm thrilled to spend a little bit of time with you today, Ben. Your dad, you wrote about him a little bit. I think you could have filled a couple novels with stories about your dad. Probably. Give us, for those listeners who, man, they don't know your dad, give us a snapshot of who your dad is, this great guy that raised you. um, My dad grew up in South Mississippi uh, in the 50s and 60s and and early 70s. And his daddy, my grandfather, was on Mississippi Highway Patrol, and um, they owned a grocery store in town, a butcher shop, and they had a farm. And so my grandfather was very busy, and uh, my dad and his brothers and sisters kind of ran the farm. And so growing up like that, my dad has this wealth of knowledge, um, you know, that he learned from life. And so he is, uh, then once he was out on his own and my mom and, and him got married, he decided that he was too smart for school and didn't need it and dropped out and uh he let's say he worked in the oil field he at one point amassed a pretty successful soybean farm in south mississippi but he had it all on a balloon note with the bank Mm -hmm. and had you know uh had land and a house and you know, multiple tractors and trucks and trailers and combines and, you know, all this equipment that he needed. And the note came due. He had a bad season, and they wouldn't refinance his loan, and he lost everything. You know, so he went from having all this to then, I think the only thing that we had to our name was like a 1979 Datsun car. Mm-hmm. And uh, that I remember this clearly that it didn't, that it had a hood when we, when this happened, but then it came, we were driving down the highway and the hood flew up and hit the windshield and daddy slowed down and got out of the car and just ripped the hood off the car and threw it in the ditch and got back in and kept going. <laughs> So, <laughs> your your dad is so much more of a man's man than I will ever even pretend to be. Oh, that, it's for my brothers and I. It's it's you know it, it, he is he's I think in the book I said he's he's every every superhero every cowboy yeah you know ever growing up it was like you know nobody could hold a match to him because he you know he would he rip a hood off a car and, um, and then at the same time he's the most generous person in the world like it it doesn't matter what he has if you need it it's yours like you know don't don't mention it don't worry about it just take it and we're good you know you don't have to pay me back you don't have, you don't owe me you're good. So, um, well, my understanding of you, brother, is that uh, that same trait ended up uh, in spades in your life. I don't. I don't know if I'm uh, if I'm on the same level that he is, but I strive to be. And uh, and it's if anything about him is reflected in me, it's. Uh, it's a compliment. So. Well, you got some brothers too. You guys became chefs when you were little boys growing up in Mississippi. And one of your one of your finer cuisines, it's a, it's a nice one. It's called fried chicken rolls. Fried chicken rolls, yeah. That, I mean, that is a that's a, that's a delicacy. We all know it. So, uh, for those of us who somehow don't know what fried chicken rolls might be, why don't you quickly tell us what the ingredients are that so you put into this this batter? Fried, fried chicken rolls is you take white bread. Only the finest white bread will do, and you 
um, you know, you put your butter on it, and then you sprinkle cinnamon and sugar on it, and you toast it. And it's best served hot. <laughs> so Fr- that was, that fried was, chicken rolls. Yeah, there you go. Cause, and that was in the book, you know, to explain that uh, my brother, my, my older brother, he, he said that this was good, and fried chicken's good, and rolls are good, so we'll call it fried chicken rolls. I like it. You uh, you eventually leave the kitchen. You go off to college, and you meet this vibrant little blonde named Aaron. What what was it about Aaron that immediately caught your fancy? So, I can tell you, the first time I saw Aaron, I, I swear I was it was I was talking to some people, and this girl in the group said, "I I love that girl's style. I wish I could dress like that." Mm-hmm. And I turned to look to see who it was, and it was Aaron. And she was walking across the room, the cafeteria, Jones Student Union. And she had this short pixie haircut, and she was wearing a tight yellow T-shirt and loose-fitting jeans. And I had, you know, she walked with this this level of confidence that wasn't, you know, it wasn't a look-at-me walk. It was mm-hmm. just a just a real smooth walk, and um, and I was into it, and then <laughs> uh, I spent the next um year trying to get closer to her with without being successful <laughs> well the success comes to the patient and the persistent and uh you y- you showed up in both regards uh talk to, for those of us who don't know Erin well what is it not only about her style and confidence but her heart that uh that you fell for but that you remain uh, completely enamored with so, Erin, I know she was. I could I could hear her telling you about her imagination when she was younger and how that um, became a punchline to people around her. And for me, that imagination is what I fell in love with. The, you know, like she looks at the world differently. <laughs> Talk about the gifts that you give Ben with um, you know Christmas and Hanukkah right around the corner and anniversaries and birthdays and just moments of celebration where, where we want to do something special for someone we love. I don't know anyone who does it better than you, man. Well, and it, I mean, that's high praise. Cause I, I have some friends who give well, well, it comes and going back to my dad and, and my mom, like growing up, you know, we, we never had anything and, and I didn't know any different because, um, mom and daddy, you know, treated each other like, king and queen and we're constantly giving things to each other you know flowers or or something my dad would make something in the shop that probably wasn't that nice um but my mom would brag on it and and he'd be so proud of it and and give it to her and um and so you know when we when me and my brothers were coming along and We'd ask my mom, you know, what do you want for your birthday, or what do you want for Christmas, or what do you, you know, whatever. And um, first answer was always, I'd like if you'd clean up your room. And then <laughs> second was, you know, just make me something, anything. And so, right. you know, we would dream up some silly thing and make it, and it wouldn't even resemble anything useful or, or worth anything. And she would keep it and display it and show it off and brag on it and. Um, and so that's where it, where it comes from. And really, it's for Erin. I don't have to make her anything nice. Now, I have a an incredible wood shop, and I love to be in there making stuff. And so I have that going for me. Um, but I could take a piece of, um, and anybody could do this. Um, I could take a piece of uh, construction paper and cut it into the shape. Matter of fact, for Valentine's one year, I gave her a book, but I made her a bunch of cards that was pink and red construction paper that I cut out hearts from and just wrote little things on it. And and then I cooked her breakfast, and that was all I did. Mm-hmm. And you would have, you know, it was worth more than any diamonds or gold or chocolates or or anything like that. Um, and so. I really, I think that's what it comes down to. It's not even, it's just being thoughtful enough to give your time to make something. 
mm. um, no matter how big or small it is. Well, I think that's advice we all can borrow and utilize. You, you uh, As your relationship progresses, Aaron's health regresses. I didn't talk about it with her, but I wanted to bring it up with you. I think sometimes the story of recovery from illness is actually more powerful when told from the caregiver, if you know what so, I mean. So like, yeah, no, it's um, for it was for me again. Going back to me being a pleaser, when Aaron brings me a problem, I want to fix it. I want right. to solve it, and um, this was something that I couldn't figure out. And the doctors couldn't figure out. And um, to, I mean, you've been through through tough times. Um, you know, we've we've read about you and, and watched your video, and uh, and to see somebody in excruciating pain and not, you know, somebody you love and you care about and would do anything would take that pain away, and you can't, you can't do anything. It's paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's terrifying. It's scary. It's all that. Um, but for me, the 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 two like lowest moments was actually ended up being the really it was uh, the the best moment. But when Erin was going back for the first exploratory sur- surgery, she was. Um, in the chair, I mean, in the in a gurney, in a bed, they had given her something to calm her down, and that wasn't working. And they were rolling her down the hallway, and I was at the door because I couldn't go back. And she was crying and asking, um, asking me to help. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, I can't, I can't do anything. Um, and so then, from there, uh. You know, just a few minutes in the book, I explained that just a few minutes later, they came and got me. And and I'd been told, you know, it was going to be, I can't remember how long now, but I knew it was way too soon. And so that was a red flag. And then I went to the room and the doctor, you know, we we sat down and and Dr. Weber was there. And, you know, why is he here? And, um, And the doctor just looked at me and said, Aaron is very sick. And I couldn't. I couldn't hear anything else. It was just like, you know, it's, you know, being a being her husband and and um being that pleaser wanting to fix everything and then to hear that from a doctor, it's, you know, it's got to be something completely awful and and terrifying and then the next thing out of her mouth was um, we want her to go see this oncological surgeon. And mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of medical terms, but I know that one. And it was like, no, 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 no. I can't, I can't handle this. Um, but this had gone on for a decade. You know, yeah, right. she'd been sick since I had met her. That happened, the first attack happened right before we started dating. And she had been having them more and more and more and more. And um, so this is something that we had been dealing with together for as long as we had known each other. Tough, dark days, man. Yeah. But it ends uh, It ends brilliantly. It's still being yeah. written. But uh, just so we can kind of put a book in on, on the story, tell us, tell our listeners what it ends up being, how they fixed so, it, and how she's doing today. You know, we we go to this oncological surgeon in their mind it's it's the you know when i heard that i thought you know oh my god she's got cancer and um and the doctor was like no we don't think it's cancer we we think it's a severe form of endometriosis and it's spreading to all of her organs like a cancer and it was you know i didn't know what any of that meant but okay and um i grew up with you know four boys in our family, no girls, and so the term endometriosis had never come up. And uh, we get there for the surgeon, or for the surgery, we get to meet the surgeon. He's this really cool uh, doctor, and he's in a great mood, and he's like, you know, we're going to find, we're going to figure this out. And um, it turns out that she had appendicitis when in college, 
whereas normally an appendix ruptures and you have to have emergency surgery and there's, you know, all this risk, hers just kind of sprung a leak and encased itself in a cocoon. So she was really sick that one time in college, but then her body kind of, sort of, kind of healed itself. But her appendix was still, you know, diseased or whatever, and every so often it would try to swell up and rupture again, but it was, again, it had scar tissue all around it, like a cocoon, Mm. and so it couldn't. It was, you know, every time she got sick, her appendix, the lining around it got a little bit stronger, and so then it started just spilling this poison out into her abdomen, and it was injuring all of her, the lining of all of her organs, and then as they would heal they were healing together and so it was like this glue getting on everything and eventually it had gotten so bad that if anything upset her stomach if anything upset any of her organs then it would send her abdomen into this panic and um that was it It, they took it out they cleaned everything up she didn't have endometriosis um there was this fear um, that we may not be able to have children because of all of this, and I mean, even that came to a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, outcome of the story is awesome. Not only does she return to health, you uh, you get to open up the greatest gift I think that you've ever received. Miss Helen shows up in your life. We'll come to her in a moment, but before she shows up, some cameras show up in front of your house and start taping you. Talk about HG, HGTV and hometown from your perspective. Um, so that was that was weird. You know, growing <laughs> up the way that we had, um, I knew how to do a lot of stuff. And Aaron and her parents and her dad, like they they like doing. You know, they always did DIY projects together. Her and her mom and and her dad. Um, he if they're just because you can hire something to be done, he doesn't see, you know, he would rather do it himself. And um, and then, you know, with us growing up in the church, and we were always working on things. And so we knew how to do all this, but it was never a career. It was just a means to to being able to live in a, in a beautiful historic home was we had to do a lot of stuff ourselves. You know, she's an artist. I'm a minister at the time. Um, but this... A wood shop was growing and becoming more and more a thing, and but it never really, none of it ever really felt like it was something real. Like it was, uh, I say that it was never a career mm-hmm. um, until it suddenly was, and it took over everything. And that was that was what happened with the show. And um, we only agreed to do it if it would shine a a bright in positive spotlight, not only on our town, but on our state and on small towns all across America. But, you know, if we could be a beacon of hope for small town America, then then we'll do it. And uh, the production company agreed and HGTV agreed. And, you know, it was it was a long shot chance. I mean, it was pretty much all the way through it. They told us that you'll this will probably never come to fruition. And Mm-hmm. Here we are filming season three. What what's been the hardest part about the success that this has brought into your life, and 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 second secondly, what's been the best part of it? So first, what's been the hardest part of uh, now becoming a celebrity, if you will? Um, the hardest part is um, is friendships. So like our best friends, we. And, and family, for that matter, we we do everything together. Uh, before the show, we were we were eating at Jim Mallory's house or Josh and Emily's house, or they were at our house, or we were at uh, somebody else's, uh, or we were out to dinner every night of the week. But now, because of our really strict schedule, like my day starts at 4:30 in the morning and wraps up at about six o'clock, and I have an hour. Um, with Helen before we put her to bed. And so, you know, then I have an hour to wind down after she goes to bed before it's time for me to go to bed and then do it over. Um, and so we, we just don't have that time to spend with our friends like we want to. And then the same with 
with our family. Like I've I've got three brothers, and so, mm-hmm. um, you know, whereas used to for Thanksgiving we would all go to my parents. My one of my brothers is a teacher, and one of my brothers lives up near them, and uh, then the baby brother is he was in college, and so we would all go to my parents for a week at Thanksgiving. And now it's because of our schedule, you know, we get a day at my parents for Thanksgiving and same for Christmas. And so, um, but then at the same time, that is the best thing about this is that we now don't take for granted any of that, any of that time that we get to spend together. It's very, you know, it's very focused and it's very intentional. And, um, and so that's, that's the, the good and the bad of it. Ben, I, I hear horns going by and people walking by, and I, I know you're on Main Street looking out toward Laurel. This is not the town that you moved back to um, a decade ago or so now. I mean, this this town has seen a rebirth. Knowing yeah, that it's... you're part of this. So looking down Main Street and seeing people walking and cars driving and storefronts popping, how do you feel about that? It's, it's incredible. It's... Um... It's something much bigger than Aaron and I. That's something that we struggle with is that we get so much credit for it now. People will say, you know, it's great what Aaron and Ben have done for this town. And it's like, yeah, but it's also great what all of these other people have done for this town. Um, and it's it's something we've been working on, you know, for we were working on it for nearly 10 years before HGTV even noticed it and so we're i can't wait to see what it's going to look like in 10 years Mm. um you know when helen's 10 years old what is laurel going to look like when she's 20 years old what is it going to look like is it you know are we going to keep on this upward trajectory or is it going to take another turn and so um you know what's the laurel that she's going to remember and so that's 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 the thing about kids it's like I know people tell you that, but until you have them, I never thought about, you know, I only look at things through her eyes now. And so this town that I was, you know, wanting wanting to grow for my own experience, now I'm wanting it to change and be good for her experience. So, um, yeah, that's what it's like. Ben, you moved into a town that was in dis- disrepair. Just absolutely in disrepair, and now it's not. What What would you say to some city manager or mayor as they look at their own main street that's fallen apart? And in offering that advice, what would you say to a family that's struggling, to a person that's uh, down on their health or their luck or their finances, someone that that's only seen what's wrong rather than seeing the potential within it? It's all about, and this was something we struggled with in Laurel, it's all about being yourself, and I know that's cliched and trite or whatever, but it's, we were trying, we were looking at other towns and what was working there, and we were trying to do that here, and then, you know, we just stopped, and we got a Main Street director who, okay, what will work here? What mm-hmm. What are we? Okay, Laurel's we don't have a nightlife. A nightlife will probably never be successful here. I, the one successful quote-unquote bar is the brewery, and it closes at 10. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's what Laurel is. We're a, we're a small family town. Um, right down the street, I mean, right down the road, you've got Hattiesburg that has two universities. And so Very that's different. a college town. Right. They have a nightlife. They, they can do that. So what works there? is not going to work here. And it's the same for, you know, a business, for people. Like, a town is, you know, no different from any of that. You have to look at, you have to look inside and see what you are, or look at your past, or look at look at who you are, and then be honest with yourself and and be that. Well, brother, I'm, I'm going to, I know you got to get back to filming, back to life. We wrap up every interview with a few questions. So I'm going to guide you through these and I'm going to encourage you to give us one word answers. Here we go. Okay. Best book you have ever read is? A Childhood by Harry Cruz. Awesome. What, what is one positive characteristic, Ben? One trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Oh, one characteristic that I had as a child um i was much more 
naive and trusting as a child. Mm -hmm. And it's just hard to have that as an adult. Yeah, but what a gift it is. If, if your home caught fire and Miss Helen and Aaron are out, your dogs are out, all living things are out, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what would you grab? Uh, probably the anniversary books for That's Aaron. <laughs> you and Aaron grabbed them at the same time. That's what you yeah. took, too. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to have that nice long visit with? Uh, Aaron. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, look at who you want to be in five years and only say yes to things that take you there. Whew. Man, that is worth writing down. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh, try harder to get Aaron. And final question, Brother Ben. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your life to read? Hmm. He loved everyone. Uh, ben, you do indeed love everyone, and you teach the rest of us to not only love everyone, to love ourselves and to love the life that we are already living. So uh, thank you for helping us renovate our lives. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. My friends, that is Ben and Aaron Napier. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live Inspired.